Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Psalm 121. Uh, We will read Psalm 121 together after we pray. Our Father and our God, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this particular psalm that is before us this morning. We ask that you would open our ears and our hearts, our minds to receive from you the wonderful truths that are here by the pen of the psalmist. We thank you for the situation of this psalm in particular when it was written, but also the application that transcends time. We thank you for what you are doing. We thank you for the opportunity we have to participate in that. And we ask your blessing on this time as we look at your word and that it will affect not only our thoughts and interaction right now, but that it will continue to transform our lives and our activities when we are apart from here. So we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness in giving us your word. We look forward to what you have to speak. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This psalm is part of a group of psalms that are referred to as songs of ascent, beginning with Psalm 120 and going through Psalm 134. There's 15 psalms that were penned to be songs to be sung by people of Israel, God's people. These songs were sung at a variety of times, but in most particular, they were sung as people traveled to Jerusalem to go to the temple to worship God. Three times a year, every man of the house of Israel was required to go to Jerusalem and present himself before the Lord. And their families went along and participated in the celebrations and the worship and the interaction with their God. In preparation for those activities and that interaction with God, these songs were sung as people traveled. Some people traveled only a matter of a short distance from Jerusalem itself. Some a few miles, some many miles, which required many days travel. So depending on 
how far they traveled, how much they sang. Interesting thing to consider. Do you sing songs on the way to church in preparation for worship? That's what they were doing. They were preparing their hearts, preparing their families to go and to meet with God. As you know, Jerusalem is in the hills of Israel. So lifting up my eyes to the hills could refer to many things. Could be anticipation of going to Jerusalem. For some, it could be, well, on that hill they worship that God, and on that hill they worship that God, and over there they worship a different God, because unfortunately, some people did go to the high places that Scripture refers to to worship various gods and various other so-called deities. Sometimes we look to the hills. This time of year we look to the hills to see how much snow there is so that we can kind of anticipate how much water supply are we going to have later when it gets hot and we need the water down here. Sometimes we look to the hills for recreation. Oh, where do I want to go on vacation? Well, I want to go to the mountains. Well, I'm going to go and I'm going to stay in such and such a place and enjoy the solitude and the scenery and whatever else. Sometimes we want to go and hike or sometimes we want to get to the top of something. So we look to the hills for a variety of reasons. But the hills do not supply the help we need. And the psalmist acknowledges that. My help doesn't come from the hills. My help doesn't come from the assurance of having sufficient water during the summer, the heat, perhaps times of drought. My help comes from the Lord. And as you may know, when we see the Lord in Scripture, and Lord is in capital letters, it's a particular name of God that the Jewish people typically would not say. It was the holy name of God, which we know as Yahweh. The tetragrammaton in Greek is what it's referred to, those four letters, Y-H-W-H. The anglicized version of that is Jehovah. But the Jewish people held that name in high esteem and would often interpose the name Lord with lowercase letters, which was the name Adonai. It means Lord, but it isn't the same degree of superiority. And so they would put that other name in there not to desecrate or potentially take in vain the name of the Lord in violation of part of the Ten Commandments. But we see the Lord in capital letters and it reminds us of this name Yahweh. It's the name that God proclaimed to Moses at the burning bush. 
when Moses said, yeah, I, want you, I know you want me to go and to lead your people out, but what if they don't believe me? What if they say, who sent you? What if they say, why, why are you doing this? And the Lord said, well, because I am. That's my name. This I am, which is associated with Yahweh or Jehovah in Hebrew, refers to the, the nature of being, literally to be. And what God is proclaiming to Moses and what we see when we see the name of the Lord in Scripture is this is a God who is self-existent. He doesn't need anything else to sustain his existence. And he's not created. He's not made, as we read in the creeds. He is alone the source of all being. And he exists because only he can exist. And we exist only because he grants us existence. Our existence is dependent on his existence. His existence is dependent on nothing or no one. So when we read that name, there's a whole bunch packed into that name. So I encourage you as you read the scriptures, when you see the Lord with Lord in capital letters, be reminded of the glory and awesomeness of this God. And the psalmist acknowledges that, that this God made heaven and earth. He isn't just a part of it or participating in it like us. He made it all. And we know from our study in the Gospel of John, Jesus was an agent of that making, that creating process. In John 1, we're told the word was with God and by him all things were created. Nothing was made any other way but by the word. The word who we also acknowledge in John 1 became flesh and dwelt among us in Jesus. Paul in writing to the Colossians in chapter 1 acknowledges the same thing. That Jesus not only made everything, but he sustains everything. So everything holds together at the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Yahweh of God. And the psalmist also acknowledges here that his help doesn't come from a place. He looks to the hills, but his help doesn't come from that place. It doesn't come from any place. It comes from a person. The Lord who... Acknowledging that God is a personal God. He's not just a higher power. He's not just some ideological thought that makes us feel good. He's a person. And he continues to refer to him in that, recognizing his personhood and his activity. But we see the Lord and acknowledgement to him ten times in this psalm. 
But he says of him in verse 3, he says, he will not three different times. First he says what he won't do. He will not let your foot be moved. Now, traveling in Israel can be dangerous. As you travel into the hills, there can be some treacherous paths. There can be some difficult terrain. It can be slippery if it's raining. There's other dangers. But he says he will not let your foot be moved. Every placement of your foot is by his divine oversight and plan. He also says, he who keeps you will not slumber. In other words, he's not going to be taking a nap when you need his help. Now, as I age, I come to recognize more and more that naps are wasted on kids. I enjoy a nap every now and then. Now, I realize if you don't let your kids nap, there's going to be other things to deal with. <laughs> but naps are really good for us that, like a nap, help us kind of get boosted again. Well, God doesn't need that. He's not going to be taking a nap. He's not going to be sleeping. Because he says in verse 4, Behold, not only he who keeps you, but he who keeps all of Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, it might cause you to think about Elijah as he was on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal and the other people who were worshiping Baal. He uh, challenged them as they continued to rant and rave and try to get the attention of Baal. He said, well, perhaps he's on a journey. Or perhaps he's asleep and you need to wake him up. We don't have to worry about that. That is not going to happen with our God. He is well aware of our needs. And he's well aware of every placement of our foot. Verse 5, the psalmist goes on further. And he says, the Lord is your keeper. And in the structure of this psalm, this particular phrase is exactly in the middle of the psalm. There's eight lines that go before it, and there's eight lines that follow it, which play off of this whole theme of the Lord, this sovereign God, this Jehovah, this Yahweh, which is made up of as we know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This Lord is your keeper. And we find this word referring to keeping or keeper uh, six times in this psalm. And they're very particular things. We first encounter this word keep or keeper in Genesis chapter 2, when we're told that God planted a garden in Eden and he placed Adam there to work it and keep it. 
Now, some people are inclined to say work is a result of the fall and it's part of the curse, and we have to work because we're cursed sinners. Well, Adam worked before he was a sinner. He had a job before there was sin. So work is not part of the curse. Work became more difficult because of the curse, as we know. Suddenly there were thorns and thistles that got in the way. There were other things like we get tired and we run out of energy and we need to take a nap or whatever else it might be. So work became more difficult, but work was present. And part of that work was keeping. And the inherent nature of this word in Hebrew is to guard. Well, what was Adam supposed to guard the garden from? Well, the garden for Adam and Eve was their sanctuary where they met and worshipped with God. As we know, God came and walked and talked with them on a daily basis in the garden. And Adam failed to guard the garden from sin. Satan came and said, Oh, did God really say you can't eat this food here? Did God really, you know, is he really that, is he really going to hold out on you? Of course, you know the story and you know the results because we live it every day. We all tend to be self-serving rather than serving God or serving others. Uh, Eugene Peterson in The Message uses the word guardian. He says, the Lord is your guardian. He protects you. He provides for you. As we've seen, he knows every placement of your foot. And it's intentional. And as he goes on, he says, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. Now, shade might not be a big deal to you these days. You might prefer that the sun would come out again today, which, uh, according to the forecast, it's supposed to. Now, maybe it will. I did see some sun on my way here out at Liberty Lake, but it wasn't very much. It was just one little place. <laughs> uh, but we may get some sun today, and we may not. But when it's higher temperatures and drier conditions... We like shade. And the Lord provides shade. In fact, the Lord is shade. Part of that alludes to the nature of God being so close to us that he shadows us with his presence. On our right hand, he's that close. He's right there. He's not off taking a nap. He's not off doing some other business all the time. He can do his business anywhere and everywhere all at the same time. And we can depend on that with our very lives. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Now again, not having the same conditions here as the Middle East... We generally enjoy the sun most of the time. 
But in the Middle East, the sun can be very deadly. And should you be stuck out in the sun for long periods of time with no shade, and of course with no water, you could soon be dead. But the Lord doesn't allow that. He provides for you by day. And at night in the Middle East, it can become very cold and even deadly so if you're not prepared. But day and night also refer to time passage, as we know. Days refer to our regular activity. We can recognize yesterday, today, we anticipate tomorrow. We operate on the level of days. And the moon, of course, refers to months, which are more extended periods of time. And we can acknowledge that. We can think of last month and last year, and we can look forward to next month and next year, should we so desire. I'm kind of happy with right now. I don't really want to look too far forward because I know what's coming. <laughs> but I don't know everything, but God does. And none of that surprises him. Part of the aspect of being struck by the moon at night could have to do with some of the potential effects upon us that the moon supposedly gives. Now, there's varying studies that have been done about how realistic that idea is, that people are actually influenced by the lunar patterns. But we do know that uh, the word lunatic comes from the same root as lunar. Uh, many of you uh, know my nephew, Gene Baldwin. He's a police officer for the city of Spokane. And he will acknowledge that when there is a full moon, a lot more strange activity happens. And his particular shift happens to be at night. And so he recognizes that there's an acceleration of activities that take place during the full moon. What the explanation is, you could go into all kinds of things. But in the case of the psalmist, he's saying, God will take care of me no matter what the conditions are, day or night. Verse 7, the psalmist continues with the Lord will. And he tells us particular things that the Lord is going to do. The Lord will keep you from all evil. We think about Joseph and the treatment that he received from his brothers they sent him off to Egypt and wanted to be rid of him and hoped that he would die somewhere else and they would never see him again and never have to interact with him again. Well, as you know, God sent Joseph to Egypt by his brother's hand. And after the passing of their father, Jacob, who became Israel, the brothers went and appealed to Joseph and said, hey, you know, 
we know what we did was, was wrong. It was evil. But forgive us. Please don't take it out on us. Don't have your revenge on us. And Joseph said, no, you didn't send me here. God sent me here to preserve life. He said, yes, you did mean it as evil, but God meant it as good. And we're assured of that truth in the New Testament, Romans chapter 8, Romans 8, 28. And we know, if we stop and think about it, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So the Lord will keep you from all evil if you belong to Him. And He is your God. Yes, bad things happen to us. Yes, we experience things that we don't enjoy. Yes, people get COVID. People get cancer. People get other conditions that happen in their lives. We crash our cars. Our homes have difficulties. Our families sometimes break up because of not maintaining relationship. Other things that we see as bad happen to us. But in an ultimate sense, in the hand of God and the operation of God and the oversight of Jehovah, Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, He can work evil to accomplish His purpose, just as He did with His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He received the worst treatment of anyone ever in history at the hands of sinful people to accomplish the redemption that only He could accomplish at the hand of God. Peter tells those in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost that it was God's divine plan. And he ordained what came to pass to accomplish a purpose that could not be accomplished in any other way. Many in our world today want to tell us, oh, well, we can, you know, look inside of us and find the good. And we can behave towards one another in good ways because everybody is basically good well if everybody is basically good then why is there murder and why is there torture and why is there slavery and why is there still selfish political uprising and war because there is evil but Lord God Almighty can overcome that The Lord will keep you from all evil. He, the Lord, will keep your life. In Hebrew, as well as in the, the Greek uh, Septuagint translation of the Old Testament, it's literally soul. So he's looking at not just the days and nights and months and years of our physical existence, but he's looking at our eternal soul. The Lord will keep your life, your soul. He will keep the entirety of who you are. The Lord 
verse 8, will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Going in and out, it's part of our daily activities. We go in and out of places and things all the time. So we have these daily activities of in and out. But we also have an eternal in and out. We come into this world with nothing and we go out of this world with nothing. As you know, the saying goes, you can't take it with you. So no matter what we acquire during this lifetime, it's not part of our going out and it wasn't part of our coming in. But there's also the going out of this life. We go into the realm of eternal life or in some cases, eternal death. But we go out from here into an eternal existence. This is not all there is. And a lot of people that we know don't believe that or don't want to believe that. They want to believe that this is it. And when this is over, we just stop being. No more recognition of anything. We just cease to exist. Well, it's clearly not the case. Jesus in John 10 said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The significance of that is, we, as we know, Jesus is the door to our access to the Lord, the God, Lord God Almighty. And if we enter and exit in Jesus, we will find pasture. We will find the sustenance that we need. We'll find the significance of who we are as his sheep. He tells us just shortly after that that he's the good shepherd. The significance of our existence is that we're a sheep in his pasture and he's going to oversee all of our activity and supply all of our needs. And we know that intimately if you look at Psalm 23, most of us are familiar with that. The shepherd provides for his sheep. And the Lord God Almighty condemned the shepherds of Israel who were selfish and supplied their own needs and took advantage of the people they were supposed to be shepherding. And he condemned them soundly and said, you are not doing your job, so I'm taking it away from you and I will be the shepherd. And that's where Jesus comes into play. When he comes, he will be our shepherd. He will be our guide. He will be our guard. He will supply all of our needs. As we close today, I want to share with you a, a poem. Poem happens to be a song. It's a hymn. It's been one of my favorite hymns since I was a child. I would have you look at it, but it doesn't happen to be in our Psalter. <laughs> but some of you may be familiar with this song. It's simply entitled Day by Day. And what always struck me from a youngster was that's how I live, day by day. 
yeah, I anticipate lots of things, but I can't really plan very much further than just a part of today. I don't know everything that's going to happen today, and neither do you. But the writer says, day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. Every day, the Lord himself is near me with a special mercy for each hour. All my cares, he fain or willingly, that's an old English word, fain, he willingly and joyfully would bear and cheer me. He whose name is counselor and power. The protection of his child and treasure is a charge that on himself he laid. As your days, your strength shall be in measure, is the pledge to me he made. Help me then in every tribulation, so to trust your promises, O Lord, that I lose not faith's sweet consolation offered me within your holy word. Help me, Lord, when toil and trouble meeting, ere to take as from a father's hand, one by one, the days, the moments fleeting, till I reach the promised land. Let us pray. Once again, our Father and our God, we come before you and we thank you for this marvelous truth that you keep us, your people. You guard us. You have ordered every one of our steps. The days of our lives are planned very particularly by you. And our eternal existence depends upon you. We praise you and thank you that you have called us and opened up our hearts and our minds to you, to a relationship with you that we so desperately need of every moment of our lives in all the highs and all the successes as well as the lows and the failures and the sin and the struggles that we find within our souls. We thank you and praise you for your complete knowledge and understanding and provision for all of these circumstances. And we look forward to being free from the encumbrances of our sinful bodies and minds and hearts to freely worship you completely when we reach that promised land. But in the meantime, we ask that you would remind us to not look to the hills or to the other things for help, but that we would first and foremost look to you and find that help 
that you have promised in your word and in the relationship that we can have in Christ, our Savior and our Lord, the one who forgives, the one who plans and provides for every aspect of our understanding and our existence. We need you more than anything. And we thank you that you are there to meet that need. We ask your blessing as we go from this place that you would use us to represent you once again as the people you've called us to be. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.